Thank you for listening to the Lucy Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about us or to find other sermons and resources from us, visit our website at lucybaptist.com. friends. Good morning, church family. We're glad to be joining you in this way. Again, we continue to look forward to uh, joining together in worship. We want to invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. We are continuing in our series of messages in the book of 1 Corinthians. We entitled the series, The Gospel-Shaped Church. And we hope that you are seeing how uh, vital this is, that we be a gospel-shaped church and how this book of the Bible helps us to understand this wonderful truth, uh, this wonderful principle in the life of our body. This morning we're going to be looking at four verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 4. And from this passage this morning, I'll be bringing a message entitled, The Tragedy of Spiritual Immaturity. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse number 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready for it. You're not re- yet ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? The tragedy of spiritual immaturity. May we join our hearts together once again in prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we've already had to worship you in song. Father, we continue in the spirit of worship as we have opened and read the word together this morning. We thank you for this wonderful, inspired book in the word of God, the book of 1 Corinthians. And Father, we pray that you will continue to give us the understanding and the vision of what it is to be a gospel-shaped church. Help us, Father, this morning as we look into this passage of Scripture. We do pray once again for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that we considered last Sunday in our message. We thank you that we as your children are spiritual people. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the the teacher, the one who inspired the Word of God, who now lives in us to be our teacher. So we pray today for the empowering of your Spirit upon the preaching of this message from the Word this morning. We pray for your ministry upon me as your, uh, as your uh, preacher this morning. I also pray upon the, for those today who are hearing the word uh, today and throughout or this, the days to come that you would speak this word of truth to their hearts. We pray for the, the work of the Spirit in illuminating, giving light to the Scripture and understanding. Because, Father, as we understand, we can proclaim truth, but only you, by the work of the Spirit, can reveal truth. We pray that you'll speak to those particularly today who are, uh, are described in this passage, who are like these who are described, who are spiritually immature, still infants in Christ, though, ha- though they've been believers for some time. We pray that you would help them to see this not merely as something to tra- treat lightly, but see it as something to take very seriously. 
to see it as the tragedy that it truly is. It fails to bring you glory, and as we're going to see other ways in which we're hindered by spiritual immaturity. Speak to those today, Lord, who may be thinking themselves spiritual, but who are still in reality natural, still in their sin. Awaken them to their need for Christ. Only you can unveil their spiritual eyes and, and give them spiritual sight and understanding and ears to hear and understanding in their hearts. So please, we ask that you do your work through the work of your spirit, through the power of your word today. Be glorified as we respond to your word and obey your word as you direct us and lead us today and in the days to come. We love you, exalt you, and praise you in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. All babies are cute, right? Well, at least all grandbabies are cute. Well, you know, they're so soft and, and, and cuddly, and, uh, and, and they make sweet noises and, and facial expressions. And we understand that when they're small and they're young as little babies, we certainly understand that they cry to express their need, their hunger. They cry when they need a diaper change. Uh, they cry when uh, perhaps uh, they uh, are teething later on, and, and, and sometimes just seemingly to be held, or maybe for no reason at all. We understand that because they're babies, and that's what babies do. But as they begin to grow and, and get older, we begin to expect behavioral changes of them. We don't expect them to cry every time they're hungry or, or angry. Uh, and so eventually they are, they're weaned off the, the bottle or the breast, and then, they, then they're potty trained. Um, and, and what's okay for little babies, what's even maybe cute for little babies, is no longer cute and no longer appropriate as they get older. And it's really sad to see children, and especially to see adults who have matured physically and mentally, but have not matured in their attitudes and in their actions. And tragically, as we see in this passage of Scripture, there are those who, uh, who have failed to mature spiritually. When we're born again, as this passage says, we, we become infants in Christ, and that is certainly understandable. But with the Word and prayer, applying the word to our lives and, and appropriating the other disciplines in our lives and as believers, then we begin to grow in our likeness to Christ. We begin to grow in our spiritual maturity. But without those spiritual disciplines being practiced in our lives and, in placed and put into our lives, then we fail to grow and we fail to mature spiritually. We're hindered in our growth. And, and according to our text, that's exactly what happened to many in the church in Corinth. And was, that was the reason for much of the problems as we're going to see here in this text. Last week we saw in chapter 2, verses uh, 14 to 16, that there are basically two kinds of people. And verse 14, the person described is the natural person. This person is spiritually dead. Because this person is not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says they are not able to receive the things of the Spirit of God. The other person described there is the, uh, the, the spiritual person in verse 15. This person has been born again and is now indwelt by the Holy Spirit. 
He's able to receive the things of the Spirit. He loves what he used to hate, the Word of God, uh, prayer, the, the church, worshiping God, serving God, fellowship with God's people, sharing the gospel with others. Well, while everyone falls into one of these two categories, in the passage we're going to see today, there is a spiritual condition that is being described and being addressed here. These people that Paul is describing, again, many obviously in the church at Corinth, are people who have professed faith and Christ, and yet at best are spiritually immature. Spiritual immaturity is a tragedy. It is not something to be treated lightly. It is not something to merely be laughed about. It is a very serious issue. Again, it caused much of the problems there at the church at Corinth, especially the area of, in the area of division that we see treated in chapters 1 through 4. But it is also the cause today of many of our problems in our churches today. And so I want you to note with me four truths from these four verses concerning the tragedy of immaturity. Notice first, the spiritually immature resemble unbelievers. Again, here in verse 1, Paul said, I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Paul begins, as he begins this new direction here, by addressing them as brothers. This is a term of endearment. It's a term we still refer to one another, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a term of endearment for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he quickly changes direction and indicates he's about to confront them when he says, but. He says, I, but I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. This word flesh literally is fleshly ones. It's also rendered in some translations carnal or worldly. And it describes our old self. It's describing who we were before our conversion, but we, whom we are no longer, who we are, uh, whom we aren't anymore. And Paul has just indicated in the previous passage that believers are spiritual people, people who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But he says, I couldn't call you spiritual. Is he saying that these people are not believers? Well, certainly not, because he calls them infants in Christ. Paul is apparently giving them the benefit of the doubt. There must have been some evidence of genuine conversion in their lives. These are people, no doubt, that are continuing in their participation within the church. They are participating in worship and in service, serving in the church. There is obviously no immor outwardly immoral condition uh, in their lives that would re result in their being disciplined by the church. So they have, an ev they have had evidence and show some evidence of conversion in their life, but because of their immaturity, their carnality as we've described it, worldliness, fleshliness, it has caused them now to resemble unbelievers. Paul told the church at Rome in Romans 8, 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. 
Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Believers are no longer to be characterized by the flesh. We, the Bible says, are new creations in Christ. Tom Schreiner says that this condition that Paul is describing here does not indicate that he has made a new category, quote, as if one can live as a carnal or worldly Christian all one's life, close quote. The description carnal or worldly in connection with a Christian is a contradiction in terms. It's like speaking of a hot popsicle. They just don't fit together. You see, spiritual infancy is like physical infancy. It's understandable at the beginning of the Christian life. Although brand new believers are indwelt by the Spirit and their spiritual appetites immediately begin to change, they haven't yet matured, and we expect them to still have some, some patterns to outgrow in their life, some flesh patterns, if you will. But after, again, a period of spiritual diet and discipline, we also expect spiritual maturity to take place. Paul could could not call these believers in Corinth spiritual. He could not see spiritual maturity in them. They may have been spiritual positionally, but practically and outwardly it was not as evident as it should be. Can you be called spiritual? Could our church be considered spiritually mature? Who do you most resemble today? The old person, the old self that you used to be? Or the Christ, the spirit who dwells in you? Second, I want you to see that the spiritual immature are not able to receive the solid food of the word. Verse 2, he says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready. Using the language, again, of a parent with children, Paul recounts that in his one and a half years of ministry there in Corinth, he fed them with milk, not solid food. This was understandable. They were new believers. They were infants in Christ. But now, he's saying, some three to five years later, perhaps, they still weren't ready for solid food. This was a further indication of their spiritual immaturity. Using the analogy of babies and young children, we know that babies began on milk. This is God's provision. It meets all their needs. But gradually, the baby begins to add different foods. They eat things like plums, squash, spinach, and eggplant all mixed together. Yum. They work their way up to solid foods until eventually they're able to eat with their family. And in the the spiritual realm, we have one diet, the Word of God. The Corinthians were what Bob Deffenbaugh described as wimps in the Word. You know, it's wonderful that we do not have to puree the Word of God. We do not have to water down the gospel. Even though a new believer may need uh, more explanation 
and we speak in terms that are clear, and we give illustrations and applications that may apply to them, we do not have to work, water down the gospel. There is no gospel for dummies. There's also not even a children's version for the gospel. Once again, we may use plain language that is understandable for a child. We, we again illustrate and make application to a child, but the gospel is just the gospel. Schreiner said here that milk, the diet of a milk, does not denote the content of the teaching, but the receptiveness of the hearers. That's where the Spirit of God comes in. As we preached last Sunday, the indwelling Spirit is our teacher. He gives illumination and understanding to the Word of God because He indwells us and He knows the heart and mind of God. The writer to the Hebrews addressed a similar issue and problem to, to that church. In Hebrews 5, 11 through 14, we read, And this, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to, to distinguish good from evil. A physical baby is totally dependent on his mother's milk, which she produces. The baby has to be fed. He cannot feed himself. A maturing believer is like that spiritual baby. As he begins to receive more and more of the word, he begins again to receive that word and to dig into the word and to grow in that word and even to take that word and share it with others. And that is how that process of growth and maturity takes place. Some of these professing believers in Corinth with their background of, of philosophy were more interested in soothing delivery than, in, than they were in sound doctrine. Many today uh, are not even receiving the milk of the Word. They live on spiritual junk food. They want preachers to just encourage them, make them feel good. They want pop psychology. Oh, brothers and sisters, a steady diet of the Word of God in preaching and teaching and personal study enables us to grow strong in every area of our lives. It strengthens our personal walk. It strengthens our marriages. It strengthens our family life. It enables us to be a better student. It helps us uh, to be a better employer or employee. It, it affects every area of our lives because the Word of God is not only inerrant, the Word of God is sufficient. So today I want to ask you, are you growing through the meat of the Word? As you look back on the time from which you professed faith in Christ until now, can you see a process of growing more and more from the milk of the Word to the meat of the Word, growing deeper in the things of God? Can you see progress, as Paul described to Timothy, the progress that is apparent to all of spiritual growth that has occurred in your life? Are you learning to feed yourself the Word and therefore learning to teach it and disciple others through the Word of God 
that you receive. Third, I want you to see the spiritually immature demonstrate divisiveness in the church. We see this both in verses 3 uh, and 4. He says, For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behave, behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Again, one of the primary ways that the Corinthians were demonstrating their immaturity, their fleshliness and carnality was through jealousy and strife and, and a party, divisive spirit. These attitudes led to division among them, and they were works of the flesh, not evidences of the fruit of the Spirit we see in Galatians chapter 5, where the works of the flesh are described this way. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, all works of the flesh. John MacArthur says jealousy is the attitude and strife is the action resulting from it. He continues, jealousy is a severe form of selfishness. Selfishness is the primary characteristic of immaturity. You think about babies, again, selfishness. Again, we understand that when they're young, when they're small. They, they want to be fed. They want to be changed. They want to be held now. They want to be the center of your attention. They don't care what you're doing. They don't mind interrupting you. They never think to say in the middle of the night, oh, I'm so sorry I woke you. When Christians are jealous of one another, competing for attention, wanting their person to be in position, they want their kind of music, they want their program, they want recognition, they want uh, that position, they want what they want, and they want it now. They are demonstrating spiritual immaturity. Apply the gospel to this, dear friend. Think about the gospel in relationship and how being a gospel-shaped church affects that in every way. When you think about the Lord Jesus, who is king, he is king. He's the only king. And we serve him. He is the one to whom we are accountable. Think about the fact that we are, are sinners in need of a Savior. And Jesus came and gave his life for us on the cross as our sinless substitute. He again humbled himself to go to the cross, demonstrating the spirit of complete and absolute submission and surrender and thinking of us as he went to the cross, thinking of the Father and the Father's will as he laid down his life for us, as he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And in order to receive that wonderful gift, we must turn from our sin, place our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, surrendering to him as our Lord. He comes into our lives and transforms our life, and we become his servants. Yes, join heirs with him, but we are serving to his glory. And it's all about him. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. The gospel shapes our church. And when a church is filled with strife and jealousy and envy and selfishness, 
It is being everything but Christ-like. It is not being a gospel-shaped church. Are you characterized today by jealousy and strife and division in your personal life, in your family life, and in the local church? There's only one word for that. It's sin. Call it what it is. Agree with God about it. Repent of it because that is the only right response to it. Stop making excuses for it. Stop justifying it. Just call it what God calls it because it is so divisive. And friend, if you are characterized by this sin today, you're spiritual immature. You're spiritually immature and your spiritual growth is being hindered. And until you repent of this, turn from this, surrender to Christ and allow him to demonstrate his life through you, his humility and the fruit of the Spirit, only then can you begin to grow in Christ, glorify Christ, and, and build up the body of Christ and bring unity to his church. Four, the spiritually immature should examine themselves to make sure of their salvation. Again, in verses 3 and 4, Paul asks two questions. He, he first there uh, indicates that through your jealousy, your strife, and divisiveness around men, he says, first question, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? And again, in verse 4, he asks, are you not being merely human? His question is, basically, are you not acting like a natural person? Natural people who are lost rather than spiritual people who are saved. John Piper says it like this. He is asking, could it be that the reason you have not made any progress beyond those early days is that you are really no different than ordinary, natural men? Paul had given them the benefit of the doubt. He had called them infants in Christ. But he is calling them now to examine themselves. Schreiner says they were in an unstable position. They were in no man's land. And if they did not repent, they would be in danger of judgment. We're not told exactly how long it would be from the time a person professes faith in Christ until they no longer demonstrate these attitudes of immaturity, but again, for a person to just treat this lightly and laugh it off and see no general progress in their life of maturity, still acting like a baby in their Christian life, still not moving forward in their understanding and love for the deep things of God, the meat of the solid food of the Word of God, this should cause any person to check themselves spiritually. Again, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, written to the same church, says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. Some people think they have a right to act the way they do, or, or some may think that they are just spiritually immature and no big deal, but actually they may be merely human, a natural person who's never truly been born again. I challenge you, dear brother and sister, dear friend, if this is true in your life, examine yourselves. Do what Scripture says to see whether you are in the faith. 
Paul likens the Christian life to a race. In Philippians chapter 3, and also we'll see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In, in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12, he says, This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. As Paul describes his race, he's not satisfied with where he's been, even where he is. His desire is to, to go on because Christ is so infinite and so glorious. That's why heaven is going to be so wonderful as we continue to, to grow and to marvel at his glory and at his wonder and his person. He's an infinite God. So that is why our race must be run the way that Paul describes it here in Philippians chapter 3. John Phillips describes the, the runner who is running to win. He says, his head is thrust forward. His expression is set in fiercely determined lines. His body is straining toward the goal. His every nerve is tense. His breath is coming in gasp, and his whole being is stretched to the utmost. Every last ounce of energy and willpower he has is being, being spent to win the prize. And for us, the prize, as we see it here in Philippians chapter 3, is to know Christ in all of his fullness. This is a race in which we never arrive. It is a glorious race. I want to challenge you today as you examine your spiritual maturity and where you are. I want to challenge you not to be satisfied. We need a holy dissatisfaction in our race, a discipline, a determination. And yes, we don't run in our own strength. We run in the power that is supplied by the indwelling Holy Spirit. How would your race be described? How would your spiritual maturity be described today? I want to challenge you to think this through today. Carefully analyze. Spend some time alone with the Lord today and in the weeks to come, thinking through continuously about your spiritual growth. If you found this message helpful, check us out at lucybaptist.com where you can find other resources or learn more about our church. We hope and pray that this message has helped you grow in your knowledge of God and in your relationship with Him.